How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Hello and welcome to Life's Key 3. I am excited that you are with me today. And we are picking up with the second chapter of the Old Testament book of Ruth. This is a short book. It only has four chapters, but it is packed with so much information. A lot of times we might think of the book of Ruth as just this oh, kind of quaint love story, but it has some very valuable principles that we can apply in our own lives. In the first book of Ruth, we look primarily at Naomi. And today, even though we're going to focus mostly on Ruth, we're going to see that there's a glint that seems to appear in Naomi's eye towards the end of this chapter. We're going to look at that and its significance here in just a few moments. Before we dive into this rich chapter, I want to ask you a question. If someone said to you, hey, if you sign up for my newsletter, you're going to get $1,000 deposited into your bank account every week. Would you say, hey, I'm in? Now, of course you would, being the smart person you are, go check it out first. I mean, you want to think, okay, this sounds like one of those scams where, oh, somewhere I have a cousin and an uncle who's five times removed who had some snail farm in Liberia, and he died and amassed a fortune, and I am first in line to receive $2.5 million worth of that share of that snail farm, and all I have to do is send in my banking account information, birth certificate, driver's license number, and about half a dozen other important pieces of information, and I am going to have that, in that money deposited into my account. Of course, you would think, mm, sounds a little fishy. But let's imagine that you actually investigated that and you found out it's real. It's a real thing. Okay, I am not going to be depositing any money into your bank account if you sign up for Highlights, the weekly newsletter. Here's what I can promise you. There is nothing that is more valuable that we can deposit into our lives and the lives of our children than truth that is grounded in the word of God, because that's where we learn about him. That's where we learn about his character, his purposes, his plans, and how we can actually live an eternally meaningful, significant life that begins with excellence here on earth. Highlights isn't the only way that you can dive into the Bible, but it's one way. I know that Bible study is one of those things as a Christian that Kind of like prayer, sometimes it's a whole lot easier to talk about doing than actually do, especially when you have kiddos. And because I know that from experience, that's why this year, the podcast Life's Key 3 and the weekly newsletter Highlights is teaming up to give you a ready-made, easy-to-follow, meaningful Bible study delivered right to your inbox. So if you haven't already signed up, hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can sign up right there. 
Today, we're diving into the second chapter of the book of Ruth. Verse one opens with a literary foreshadowing. It's just one sentence, but it gives a crucial detail to this entire story. So let's look back and recap what happened in chapter one. Ruth, who was a Moabite, not an Israelite, goes back with Naomi to live in Bethlehem. Naomi's husband had taken Naomi and her two sons. We don't know how old that they were. And they had gone off and lived in the land of Moab for 10 years because there was a famine in the land of Israel. We don't know whether he followed God's direction by doing that or not. The Bible is silent on that. Well, while they are there, he dies as well as their two sons, leaving Naomi with no one other than her two daughter-in-laws. One of them decides to stay in Moab, but the other Ruth says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going with you, Naomi. And even though it's easy to think of Naomi as this very bitter person because she goes home and she's very honest with her friends when they say, Naomi, is is that you? And she's basically like, hey, don't call me Naomi because that means pleasant. Call me Mara because it's bitter because God has not dealt kindly with me because of the death of her husband and sons. But they have gone back to Bethlehem. And at the end of chapter one, there's a little detail that says, and it was the beginning of barley harvest. Hey, here's a clue for you. As you are studying and reading the Bible, pay attention to those little details because sometimes it's just easy to think that they were just kind of thrown in there, but everything has a purpose in there. So pay attention and be on the lookout, not just for the big themes, but for those little details that can clue you in. So chapter two opens with this little detail that turns out to be very significant. Ruth and Naomi are not in a solid economic standing. They are very vulnerable, not having a husband, not having a father, not having a male leader in their home during those times left them in one of the most vulnerable places that a woman could find themselves in that culture and society. And so here they are. It's the beginning of barley harvest. They don't have an income. There's no side gig. There's no hustle. They haven't returned to some wealth that had been stored away. There's no bank account that Naomi's going to go back and be able to start making withdrawals from. They are definitely poor. They're in a place of great vulnerability and dependency. What happens then is Ruth gets up and she says to Naomi, hey, where can I go to glean barley? I don't know how many of you in the listening or watching audience have ever gleaned barley. I personally have never gleaned barley, but I did grow up on a grain farm and we also had some farm animals. And I spent many of my summers walking up and down the rows of soybeans with a machete chopping out weeds. This has nothing to do with today's study, just sharing this little bit of information. If you want a guaranteed way to get and stay fit, all you got to do is go walk soybean fields with a machete, walking up and down rows, and you're going to bend over a lot, and you're going to hack out weeds like pigwigs and cocklebirds and sunflowers. Yes, sunflowers. They are not what you want in a soybean field. And it will absolutely give you a great way to stay fit. That is one exercise program of all the thousands that are out on the market, millions. 
I've never yet seen that one advocated, but I am proof positive, as a kid anyway, that it's a great way to stay fit. Anyway, the correlation there, this is hard work. You don't go out to a barley field and just like pick up pieces of barley. It's not like you go and pick up uh, apples off of the ground or pull apples off of a tree. You have to go in and you have to bend over and you are picking up these sheaves of barley, these stalks of barley, and it's dirty, messy, physically demanding work. There is nothing glamorous about this type of work. It's easy to kind of think of Ruth and picture her in this golden field of grain with her probably black hair flowing in the wind under her bonnet as she picks it off and wipes her little beaded brow with her beautiful flowing prairie dress and romanticize the entire experience. I want you to imagine instead somebody who is caked with dust, who is wearing cowboy boots and jeans and a denim work shirt. Yes, I know that is not historically accurate, but we want to bring this and make it relevant to modern day life. So think of Ruth out here with a pair of jeans on, a rolled up denim work shirt. She's covered in dust. She's maybe got a straw hat on and she is working incredibly hard with physical labor. And she's doing this because they have to have food to eat. Nobody's going to come around and just feed them every day. She and Naomi are dependent upon her going out into these fields to work. Well, the Bible says that as she's working, she just happens to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And going back to the opening verse, Boaz just happened to be one of their male distant relatives. Boaz shows up this day and he notices Ruth is working out in the field and he asks his field hands, hey, who is that person? And they explain who she is. Hey, that's Ruth the Moabitess that came back with Naomi. And then they drop this piece of information. She has been working out here since early this morning. And it seems that Boaz is intrigued because at lunchtime, he invites Ruth to come up and have lunch with him and the other workers. And she does. She joins in. She sits down. She has lunch with these people. There were other ladies who were there also working in the field. We know that from the chapter. And they have lunch together. And then she goes back to work. And she doesn't just work through the afternoon. When she's done with picking up all of these stalks of grain, then it tells us that in the evening, she is threshing out that barley. In other words, she's got to take those long stalks and she has to pull that grain literally off of those stalks. And she does all of this. This isn't an eight-hour day in a cushy air-conditioned office. These are long hours out in a hot, dusty field. At the end of the day, she goes home and she has a pile of grain and she shows it to Naomi. And Naomi is like, whoa, where did you work today? Because you have come home with a lot of food. And Ruth is very generous with her. She gives Naomi uh, plenty of grain that, that she can also have and to eat. And then Naomi, we, this is where we begin to see a little bit of a glint, I think, that shows up in Naomi's eye. And she says, oh, it's kind of like Boaz, like Boaz, our relative, who's one of our redeemers. Hmm. 
And you can just kind of start to see the wheels start to turning here in Naomi's mind. And she counsels Ruth to say, when you're going to go out and keep working, stay in Boaz's field. Naomi faces the reality that Ruth is in a vulnerable position. She doesn't try to hide from her that she could end up in another field and she could end up being assaulted. That's just the reality of the times in which they lived. And Naomi does not hide from reality. That's one of the characteristics that we saw in her in chapter one. And it's one of the characteristics we continue to see here in chapter two. She faces reality and she counsels Ruth in such a way that Ruth will also face reality. What are some of the lessons that we can learn from this chapter and apply in our own lives? Well, first of all, let's look at Ruth. Number one, she is a person of initiative. She is not sitting at home waiting for somebody to show up and tell her what to do. She goes to Naomi and says, hey, I'm going to go out and work in the fields today and gets Naomi's approval and some direction there. So number one, she takes initiative. Number two, she is not afraid of hard work. Again, think of Ruth with a pair of cowboy boots and work jeans and a denim shirt that the the sleeves are just covered in dust because she is a hard worker. Number three, she joins in with others. This is not a small detail. When she's invited to go to have lunch with Boaz and the other uh, workers that are there, she could have just taken her grain and gone off by herself. She's a foreigner. She doesn't fit in. She's in a very vulnerable socioeconomic position. She had so many reasons that she could have just gone off by herself, but she doesn't. She sits there and she engages. And I happen to think that during that lunch, that Boaz is paying attention to her and he's making a judgment about her intelligence, about her character. He can already see that she's a hard worker. But who is she besides that? The other characteristic we see about Ruth is that she's generous. Even though she is in this very vulnerable place herself, she is generous in what she gives, in what she gives to Naomi, both in terms of food and what she gives in terms of information. She shares all the details with Naomi. Now, to be fair, this is probably also because she's female. As a rule, if you want to get the details on what's going on in life, you want to go talk to a woman because men either don't know because they haven't been paying attention. They don't think it's important to either notice or to relate. Again, just a general guideline. So maybe part of this sharing with Naomi all of the details of her day was because Ruth was a female, but I think it's more than that. I think it's also because she lives with a generous heart to invite people into her life and to be open to engaging with others as we see in how she handled herself at lunch that day. The other characteristic that we see is that she's a trusting person. This is not the same thing as being naive and stupid. This is being trusting. She trusts Naomi both with information and in receiving her counsel. This is somebody who is not only a foreigner living in this this strange country. We have to remember, Ruth is a widow. She also has experienced great loss and suffering, but she has determined she's not going to live with a suspicious heart and attitude. She's not going to be cynical. 
She's not going to be sarcastic. She's going to live with a trusting, open heart as well. Let's talk about Naomi. What do we see here in Naomi? I think there are three characteristics. Number one, she lives with an open hand. She doesn't try to keep Ruth at home. She's not the one getting Ruth up and saying, get out there and work. She lives with an open hand. She has given Ruth the ability to make choices for her own life. And when Ruth comes to her and says, hey, I want to go work in, in, in this field, Naomi says, sure. Number two, Naomi lives open to healing. Remember her losses. She lost her husband. She's lost both of her sons. She has no grandchildren at this point. And for all she knows, she never will. And yet, when she hears about Ruth's success that day in the fields, listen to what she says. May he, referring to Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Wait a minute. What happened to Call Me Bitter? Well, you know what? She's open to healing. She is also pursuing healing and making the choices to not become a person who remains in the past, unwilling to move on and to embrace the goodness of God that is present in her future. The third characteristic that we can see with Naomi is that she lives open-hearted. She is thinking about Ruth's well-being. She's not manipulating her or trying to take advantage of her. Not only does she give those instructions to Ruth and, and warnings to, to protect her, but you can start to see when she's thinking, hmm, oh yeah, Boaz, he's a close relative and redeemer. We can just kind of start to see that's going. She has a mind and a heart that is open to thinking about others and what's in their best interest. And what do we see here about God? First of all, again, we see his timing is impeccable. Verse 3 says about Ruth, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. There is no happened here, obviously. God has ways as we are going about our work, as we are taking responsibility for our lives, whatever our situations are, God has ways of orchestrating our steps, and that's exactly what he does here. Another thing that we see is that as Ruth is working, God is working. You know what? Sometimes God shows up in just the smallest little ways that we don't even recognize the significance of at the moment, but he is there. Let's look at three lessons that we can take away today and apply in our own lives. Number one, when life is hard, get to work. Sometimes you just got to pull on your big girl boots and you just got to get to work. Yes, we need to pray, but praying always comes in addition to, not as a replacement for hard work. Number two, we need to see that God is working. As we are following him to the best of our ability with a clear and open heart, seeking godly counsel and instruction and to live according to his his guidelines and his rules, we can trust that God is at work. And number three, we can live like Naomi. We can choose to live open-handed, open to healing, and open-hearted. All right, that's going to close us out for today. We will be back looking at the 
next chapter in the book of Ruth next time and digging into those rich lessons for us. Hey, I want to invite you. If you are part of a organization or a church that hosts events for women or for parents, I want to invite you to check out the speaking engagements that I offer. You can go on over to the website, stephaniepresents.com. I work to help people both out of my own failures and successes, those things by God's grace I've gotten right in my own life, and plenty of failures that I'd rather other people learn from so they don't have to learn from their own mistakes. They can hopefully learn from mine as well. But I do craft messages that are engaging, they're substantial, and they are relevant to real life that are founded on biblical truths and principles, but absolutely applicable to the real world. So you can check those out. Again, stephaniepresents.com. Remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.